This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And on this Football Friday, we welcome you. 17th day of November 2023. Football Friday indeed. As CU Buffs go to Pullman, Washington. Actually, they're in Pullman, Washington, as we speak. They're yep. in the process of going. They've arrived. And they will be playing an 8.30 game tonight, Mountain Time. Can you imagine that? You can't start a game any later than CU and Washington State start tonight. And that will be, I think, uh, the lone remaining opportunity for CU to win a fifth game this year. I don't see six. They go to Utah a week from tomorrow to close out the season. And perhaps a game of even more significance for the Denver Broncos against the Minnesota Vikings. And again, when when was the last time we had CU playing on a Friday night and the Broncos playing on a Sunday night? No Saturday afternoon games this week for CU. No Sunday afternoon game for the Broncos. The Broncos, regardless of what happens Sunday night, will keep their Sunday afternoon streak going. They have not lost a Sunday afternoon game going back to early October with the Jets because they lost to the Chiefs on a Thursday night. And they have beaten the Packers on a Sunday afternoon. The Chiefs here on a Sunday afternoon. And, of course, the Bills on a Monday night, they won that one. They don't play on Sunday afternoon this week. Right. They can't lose. (laughs) And, of course, next week they play Cleveland. So at least through Thanksgiving, they will have a fairly impressive winning streak going uh, or non-losing streak going, more appropriately, uh, as it pertains to Sunday afternoons. But um, this... Seems to me, as uh, we begin, I'm Sandy Clough. Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean Rotar on the Sandy and Sean program today here on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, milehighsports.com slash watch, or milehighsports.com slash listen, depending on your preference. We uh, come to you via the Mile High Sports app as well. Our executive producer is the great Danny Bailey. And I, I look at this game as the acid test in many ways. For the Broncos, because Monday night's win in Buffalo, very emotional, very dramatic. They have not been great at home this year, except for the Kansas City game. Green Bay game was a struggle, and they've lost the other three home games they played. Would you agree with me, from whatever perspective you wish to address the question, that this is the real test because they're going up against a team that has been hotter for even longer than the Broncos have been hot. Five-game winning streak for the Vikings, three-game winning streak for the Broncos, something has to give. Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be here on a football Friday. Um, Haven't been here on a football Friday before. I think this is a first. You're right. Yeah, so this is cool. Um, You know, I think Denver and the Minnesota matchup is an interesting one because, again, they're two of – teams that are playing well now and as as many people that have listened to us before will know and those who don't I'll tell you 
that to me it doesn't matter the records coming in it doesn't matter what they've done in the past because what matters is how well they play that day and on any given day an nfl team is capable of beating any other nfl team yeah they all have nfl talent um coaching um you know the, the time technology everything on their side so um i think the teams i think the, the last time i checked statistics was that if you turn the ball over twice <laughs> two or more times you're going to lose 93 percent of the time it's at, at three or more yeah that's so, uh, that's correct yeah. three or if, if you're plus three yeah or better on takeaway giveaway you'll win 93 percent of the time yeah so uh, or know, conversely if you turn it over and you're minus three or worse you'll lose 93 percent. so from a real pragmatic perspective i could give you that stat but that's not very juicy. It's not very sexy. And you can't predict turnovers. Right. At, at going into a game, you really can't. But like, I, that, Who would have thought Kansas City and Buffalo would turn it over nine times right. to the Broncos in consecutive games? Right. But I, mean, but I, but I, think, I think Minnesota will test them in ways they haven't been uh, tested before. Um, because I think, you know, again, Denver, when they played in Buffalo, played regulated, like I had mentioned before. They, they were a very composed team overall. They were the far more composed yes, team. Yes, yes. And um, that's what it takes to win in the NFL is consistency. I can remember a time going up to New England. We were with the Patriots. By the way, you got your Miami Dolphin gear on. I do. Look I don't good. know if uh, that can be picked up here. but uh, There it is. <laughs> but uh, Kind of an ode to a combination of uh, you when you were down there and yep. to Mike McDaniel, who – you know very well the head coach of the Miami Dolphins because you coached him in high school. I coached him in high school and didn't even know it until a friend of mine. But he apparently remembered you. Yeah. When did. he was made aware oh, yeah. that there was a Dr. Rick Perea out in Denver yeah. who had been involved with that particular, who was it, Smoky Hill? Yeah, Smoky Hill and High School. You had been an assistant coach at I Smoky was, Hill High School, and you yeah. coached, I think Mike McDaniel was a receiver. A receiver, it? and I was the defensive coordinator. So we used to go hunt him every day. Yeah. <laughs> we used to go after him. You and knew he, all about it. And him. he remembered that. He did remember he that. He remembered that. In Sandy. fact, quite well. He had some stories, <laughs> right. which we need not repeat. Here. Right, right. But but I think Minnesota will test Denver in a way that they haven't necessarily been tested week in and week out because Minnesota is pretty mature. Their coaching staff is progressive. Yes. They're very consistent. They have a plan. Um, we have a saying in the corporate world that says culture by design or culture by default. And Minnesota has a culture by design. And that's good because there are a lot of teams in the NFL that have a culture by default. And what that means is that you really don't have a set plan for performance um, within your coaching staff, leadership, front office, and then all the way down to the players. So I think Minnesota pre presents to them a, a composed, a very um, – cultured by design team which is is fairly rare in the nfl so i look forward to a, a battle where let's see if they really are improving let's see if they've had a couple of w's that really went their way just you know by luck luck matters or if they really are developing and, it, and if sean payton is really developing a team that will last and endure the time and not only win sandy but not only win, but be able to compete on a consistent basis and not rely on turnovers, not rely on a little bit of luck here and there, but go out and beat teams in the front seven at the line of scrimmage. When they can start to do that consistently week in and week out, then 
then Denver's found something. I'll, I'll give them credit on Monday night. I think on the defensive side of the ball, they did well in the trenches. When the Broncos were yes. on offense, we talked about the self-inflicted right. wounds yesterday. That was uh, the term used by Sean Payton this week. Uh, the Broncos head coach and the unusual number of pre-snap penalties that yeah. the Broncos have taken this year. I think they had five pre-snap penalties the other night. Mike McGlinchey this year has had at least five by himself Yes, at right tackle. Mm-hmm. At least five pre-snap penalties, yeah. which is kind of astonishing. But I, I wanted to address with you a, a couple of things that will be different uh, about Sunday, possibly. I'm reading this week that on the injury report, Minnesota is listing Justin Jefferson, the virtually peerless wide receiver, as questionable. Yeah. Now, he's got the same sort of hamstring injury, I think, from what I've heard, as Jamal Murray has. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that Jamal Murray, we'll talk more about that a little later on in the program, Jamal Murray is going on this extended Nuggets road trip. Uh, Michael Malone certainly has fallen short of guaranteeing that Murray will play, but he is on the trip. So at least in theory, I suppose it's a possibility uh, that at some point on this uh, trip that uh, the Nuggets are making through New Orleans, Cleveland, Detroit, Orlando, and Houston. And that will take us through exactly the next week. They're playing five games starting tonight in the next week. From Mm. Friday to Friday, they have five games. I don't see Murray coming back necessarily in a week especially since the Nuggets initially indicated it'd be more like two weeks from today right. that he might uh, return to the lineup, and that would be December 1st for a road game at Phoenix. But in any case, Jefferson listed as questionable, although the likelihood that he will play, according to Kevin O'Connell, the head coach, it seems minuscule. The Broncos are getting Kareem Jackson back this week Mm -hmm. off of a two-game suspension. And the headline in the Denver Post today says, safety wants clarification coming off of suspension. Broncos safety Kareem Jackson still wants clarification about what is or isn't considered a proper hit following his return from a two-game suspension for a series of unnecessary roughness penalties. The quote from Jackson, I'm unsure as to how to play the game going forward. I'm still going to be in those situations two or three times a week. How problematic is it that he doesn't know, one, why he was thrown out of two games, and two, why he was suspended for two games? Yeah, I think it's misleading to us as people who follow sports because he had extensive discussions with the league regarding this and he had every opportunity to ask for clarification to talk about his perception of what his intent was when he strikes people when he tackles them when he hits them and he he's had ample time i just think to me it's it's just it's small talk that has been exploded into you know he's just trying to get some sympathy some ears that will listen to him yeah. Because I mean, he's he knows how to tackle. He knows how to strike people. He's played for many, many years. From the shoulders down. And he was down. always a hard hitter, but he yeah. hit from the shoulders down. Right. 
I don't remember him ever in Houston being a headhunter or in his first year or two here. It's been the last year, maybe a little more than a year, but especially this year when he's actually been thrown out of multiple games for hits on tight ends in both cases. One was a touchdown pass in the end zone where he was way late, and the other was a pass along the sideline that was reminiscent of Henry Blackburn's hit on Travis Hunter in a CSU-CU game earlier this year. Yeah. And, of course, Blackburn got off scot-free. He wasn't even thrown out of the game. But he was also not a recidivist, as Kareem Jackson has been. And, you know, we can talk about uh, Rule 12, Section 2, Article 9, B1, which states that, quoting, it is a foul if a player forcibly hits the defenseless player's head or neck area with the helmet, face mask, forearm, or shoulder, even if the initial contact is lower than the player's neck, and regardless of whether the defensive player also uses his arms to tackle the defenseless player by encircling or grasping him. I suppose you could look at that and say, well, there's a little gray area in there. But the actual hits that he leveled, on those two players from Washington and Green Bay. Luke Musgrave, Logan Thomas, Green Bay and Washington. They were unmistakably late and high. Hits to the head. There wasn't any question about that. And and even Sean Payton, the head coach, did not defend Kareem Jackson. After the second time he was thrown out, knowing that he would be suspended, didn't offer any particular defense of him sure well let's be honest let's be real let's be authentic here i think when and we're usually talking about safety sometimes it's corners but a lot of times it's safeties that find themselves in this trouble and the reality is back when i played again i played college football from 79 to 80 83 then i was a rookie with the broncos in 83 um and spent a few years on injury reserve and i can tell you this when we tackled, we we were coached to wrap up, no matter what. Like, I had coaches in college. If you did not wrap up, they'd pull you out of the game. Like, we don't tackle like that. We wrap up. Where safeties get into trouble now, you see, they're striking people, and they're not wrapping up. And you know why they're not wrapping up, Sandy? Because you can get more velocity when you don't wrap up. When you bring your arms with you, you actually slow down the inertia, the movement of your body. When you just strike people with your shoulders and some people with their head, when you strike people without bringing your arms to wrap up, you can get more of an impact, more of a jarring hit that you that people are going to say on Monday morning when they watch tape, ooh, ah. And let's be honest, players talk about that stuff. They do. Now, I don't think there's players in the league that are purposely trying to maim people or heard him, a la, you know, George Atkinson back in the yeah. day. and Jack Tatum. Jack Tatum. Um, no, I don't think that's happening, but they're certainly saying, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to light this guy up like a Christmas tree. I'm going to do it. And so I think Kareem, if he's going to be honest and core authentic with everyone, he just needs to hit from the sternum down, from the shoulders down, and hit him as hard as you want at that point. Absolutely. As hard as you want. But stay away from their head, stay away from their neck, stay away from the upper back, chest, 
at the high level. Because what can happen is, Sandy, when you bring your helmet even at the upper chest, it's it can slide up yes. and hit him under the chin, and then boom, that's the penalty. It's the same effect. Yeah, so he can hit him as hard as they want lower. The, the, the thing that a safety has an advantage over, and I didn't play safety. I played outside linebacker, but I've been around defense my whole life. That when you strike someone up high like that, you have a weight and an inertia advantage. The lower you go, the more solid base there is in their body, and you're not going to light them up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> so that's what people really are searching for in those strikes. They may not admit it, but let me tell you, that's what they're doing. Well, uh, John Runyon was the man, former offensive tackle um, in Philadelphia, as I remember. Um, he's the NFL vice president of football operations, and he issued the suspension. But the appeals officer, the NFL, NFLPA appeals officer, is Derek Brooks. Derek <laughs> Brooks is not bashful. No, he's no. He's a player who's not bashful. Right. So if you're not getting clarity from Derek Brooks, right. I don't know what you consider clarity to be. He got clarity. He got clarity. He's not. He's just. He's just not telling the. He's just making small talk. He got clarity. I'm still hanging up on the phone with no answers. I'm just going to try to lower my target and hopefully don't end up in the same situation. But Sandy, okay, if he's not getting answers, then Derek Brooks is not doing his job. Right. Okay. Someone's not doing their job. Someone's because when you when you I doubt it's Derek and I doubt it is too. So that's why I tell Kareem, come on, man. Come on. Yeah. There's some and of us that know. Good, I, I've had uh, interchanges with uh, exchanges with Kareem Jackson. He's a good guy. Uh, and especially his first year or two here, he, terrific player still going from cornerback to safety and mm -hmm. seemed to have made the adjustment. My thinking is he's probably over the years lost a half step or a step. Now. Yeah. And so he's arriving late in some instances. And when he arrives late, instinctively, he's trying to apply more force to make up for being late. Yeah. And that, as you've outlined, more force can be applied by hitting a guy high, hitting him in the head, yep. as opposed to form tackling. Yeah. I, I suggest this to Kareem. If you really do lack clarity, there's a couple former safeties in the name of Dennis Smith and Steve Atwater. Especially Steve Atwater. He's around... Dub Valley yeah. all the time. Dennis Smith and Steve Outwater, ask those guys, because we could look up the statistic. How many times did they get a penalty for going around the head? I bet not many. Not many. Not many. Not many. And, but, it, and, they, it, and they were... Granted, it was a different era. It was a different era. When there wasn't as much scrutiny. But, but those guys would light you up like a Christmas tree. So if you have any lack of clarity, Kareem, look them up. And I know Dennis Smith had shoulder problems. More than he had <laughs> concussions throughout his career. Yeah. I do remember that much, and yeah. so does Dennis Smith. And Steve Atwater, the same kind of story. Uh, the hit, the famous hit, the Monday yeah. Night Football hit on Christian Okoye, that was not a head-to-head -head hit. Yeah. That was that was as hard a hit as we've ever seen this side of Ronnie Lott, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And Ronnie Lott, too. I mean, I'm not saying that some of the hits Ronnie Lott issued wouldn't be penalized today, but I'm saying... 90, 95% of the time, Ronnie Lott just hit hard. Yeah. He didn't hit people in the head. He didn't have to. He could apply force through great fundamentals. He's a great fundamental football player. Yeah. Hall of Famer. Great 
a football player. Steve Outwater is in the Hall of Fame. Right. And in my view, Dennis Smith should be, but that's a story for another I day. I agree with that one. When we come back, there are those who are saying that Russell Wilson has taken a page out of the temperament playbook of one Denver Nugget. We'll talk about that next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Chandro Tar is setting it out for uh, the next few days. He'll be back with us uh, the day before Thanksgiving. In fact, uh, next Wednesday, we look forward to that. But in his stead, the great Dr. Rick Perea here on the Sandy and Sean program. And we will be visiting at 5 o'clock with Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette on the Broncos beat. And uh, Chris has been insightful for us all year long, and we'll ask him about, among other things, the return of Kareem Jackson this week. The Broncos undefeated without Kareem Jackson. But in a sense, they do need him because P.J. Locke got hurt the other night and doesn't appear likely to play on Sunday night. Uh, I thought Turner Yell did a very good job in yeah. his place. The Broncos didn't lose much, and Turner Yell played most of the game. But uh, Kareem Jackson will be welcome back, I'm sure. But this time of year where you it, you can't lose games based on foolishness. And I, I want to tie this in with something else a little bit later on in the program. Um Draymond Green, suspended by the NBA recently. Yeah. And Steve Kerr, who has a fascinating relationship with Draymond Green, and you know Draymond Green. I do. You, you, in fact, know him quite well. I do. And you've talked to him a lot, and he's talked to you, and he sought you out. Yep. And I like Draymond Green. I do, too. But Steve Kerr made the point, whatever his intentions were, the other night in a game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, in San Francisco, he said, Draymond crossed the line. Yeah. And he hurt the basketball team because we need him out here. We can't have him getting suspended. We can't have him missing time. This isn't getting a technical or even getting thrown out of a game. This is a conflict that developed, and yes, his intentions were to protect a teammate. But he ends up grabbing Gobert around the throat and yeah. not letting go. Yeah. And – Kerr is saying, well, he's got to let it go. We'll, we'll get into more of this sure. later on because I think there is a connection yeah. between Draymond Green and Kareem Jackson, another good guy, uh, in in that their, their instinct, their competitiveness leads them to take action, but when they overstep their bounds and get suspended, they hurt their teams. So, um, I want to give credit to Sean Keeler, who had a fascinating column 
this morning in the Denver Post headline, Wilson has found his inner AG, and the Broncos are benefiting. Who is AG? AG is Aaron Gordon of the Denver Nuggets. Oh, I'm glad you clarified that. You know who AG is to me? Adam Gates. Adam Gates. <laughs> we, we did, obviously. Sean Keeler was not making the comparison between Wilson and Adam Gates, but uh, it. Uh, here we go. Uh, Brock Heward, uh, this is from Keeler's column, uh, person who's been on programs I've hosted many times, he is as smart about Seattle sports as anybody I know, former NFL quarterback, knows Russell Wilson intimately, and was uh, probably as shocked as anyone as to how bad Russell Wilson would be because Brock Heward's sense was his first year would be his youngest year here, and it would be maybe his best year. So if the Broncos are going to do something with Russell Wilson, a quarterback, last year was the year Mm. to do it. Well, there were a lot of complications last year, some involving Wilson, some involving Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach, and probably other factors too. But here's what Brock Hewitt has to say about Russell Wilson. Russ was immensely humbled last year and is buying into the system that first elevated his career in Seattle. Not a lot of nine-time pro bowlers would check their ego at the door and revert back to a system that is more about others than their own stats. He is. And it's because he knows the only way to build back his Hall of Fame resume is to get back to winning games, not building stats. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you see? Yeah, but I think he had to check his ego at the door. (laughs) There wasn't really a choice. You know, he had to or else his career was going to be over. And so I think... Because once he's done here, he's probably done. Yeah. Right? I, I definitely think so. And so when you are forced to check your ego at the door or else you have no more, you know, com- you're not a commodity anymore. You're, you don't have no more sales. People don't want you. So I don't think that was so altruistic of him to do that. I think he had to do it. But the notion is if you check, if you weren't checking your ego at the door, then what does that say where he was in terms, yes. of, in terms of last year? Pretty exactly. egocentric, right? Exactly. He must have been pretty egocentric and as we've talked about. enabled. Egocentric yes. and enabled yes. fully, not just by Hackett, but by George Payton, the yes. general manager, who had to give authorization for Russell Wilson to sh- set up shop on the right. second floor out at Dove Valley right. with his own office mm-hmm. and his own meetings every Tuesday with players, independent of any coaches, bringing his own private quarterback coach into those meetings and having his own private quarterbacks coach coach the team. Right often in ways that were in conflict with the way Wilson was being coached, to the extent he was being coached at all. I think he was being allowed to do whatever Russell Wilson wanted to do last year, and Russell Wilson wanted to throw the ball all over the field, right? uh, which he wasn't allowed to do in Seattle. The irony now is for 10 years he averaged exactly 30 passes per game. 10 years in Seattle, exactly 30. Not 30.2, 30.0. Exactly. Here, as Keeler points out, the Broncos are 4-1 and 3-0 and since October 20th when Wilson throws it fewer than 30 times per game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Which means he sacrificed some pass attempts. Now, I, I distinguish, I do distinguish between in, 
times intending to pass and times you actually throw it because he gets sacked a lot, yeah. almost more than any other starting quarterback of the NFL still. That hasn't changed. He's getting sacked a ton. But last year he threw 11 interceptions. This year we're past midseason, and he's thrown four. He had 16 touchdown passes last year, 18 this year. In fact, he is number one in the NFL among quarterbacks in percentage of touchdown passes thrown by not a small margin either. Right. He's throwing less, but he's throwing more touchdown passes. Right. But let's talk. That's outcome. Let's that's talk, outcome. Let's talk about process. So when you talk, go back to his own quarterback coach being in meetings. Right. That's not a culture by design. Of course not. You know, when you add another piece to the coaching room, like, you know, traditional NFL coaching tree for a quarterback is you have a quarterback coach, you have an offensive coordinator, you have a head coach. And depending on the head coach, whether they have a defense or offensive orientation, they either poke their head in there or they don't poke their head in there. But I can tell you this, when you bring another person into that room, that disturbs that culture by design. And so you look at Denver last year and they want to point to why they're winning, losing, what whatever the factors were. You got to have a culture by design or else you will default. And when you default, you will not have a plan for anything that occurs on your team. Culture by design not only sets up a hierarchy of the way leadership is deployed, communication is deployed, but it also talks about what plan B is, what plan C is, and the alternative methods for performance. Because if you don't plan for that, you can't just, I mean, you can, which a lot of teams do, do it by happenstance and just, you know, serendipitously, it, it's mm-hmm. not going to work. It's not going to mm-hmm. work over time. Sean Payton was exactly right about this point when in his introductory press conference, he was asked about his quarterback having an office on the second floor. <laughs> and he sort of dodged it, but he made it very clear that, he had never been part of such an arrangement anywhere he had been, head coach, assistant coach, or otherwise. And there would not be a second floor office for Russell Wilson in 2023. There would not be a private quarterback coach or an entourage on the premises as there was last right. year. And I, I did agree with him on, on this, at least as far as not being able to imagine in my own mind how a head coach slash general manager could have allowed that could have given permission for that. I, 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 on any level, you know, Peyton Manning. Well, you know, John Elway. Well, they never had offices on the second floor. No. Heck John Elway had to ask for special permission to sit in on offensive meetings when Dan Reese was a head coach. That's because Dan, Dan had structure and discipline and accountability. Yeah, but it is true, but there was this kind of dynamic in their relationship where finally Reeves kind of dared John to show up on an off day and sit in on the meetings. And I think John kind of called his bluff (laughs) and proceeded to do that, which I don't think thrilled Dan Reeves because he began to think that Mike Shanahan and John Elway were ganging up on him Yeah. at, at that point. So what he dared Elway to do when Elway 
called him on it right. and actually sat in. Reeves is thinking, wait a minute, I've got Shanahan and Elway, and I'm up here. Mm-hmm. Who's really calling the shots? And then there was the whole issue of insubordination, which got Shanahan fired, right. which indirectly led to the dismissal of Dan Reeves uh, following yeah. the 1992 season. But here's more on Wilson and Gordon from Sean Keeley. Wilson has always tried to sound like Aaron Gordon, even if half of it left you rolling your eyes. Mm-hmm. True enough. The difference this fall is that he's actually playing like the Nugget, setting ego aside for the sake of a three-game winning streak. If there is an egoless player in this city that I would identify before anybody else, it's Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about his relationship with Nikola Jokic yeah. and how Aaron Gordon took it upon himself in the offseason a couple of years ago and to this go off over season. and spend time in yeah. this offseason too yeah. and spend time with Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Yeah, no, he went over there and visited him and spent a week, two weeks. I think it was like 13 days that he spent over there with with uh, what I call, I've always called him Nikki. Not many other yeah. people call him Nikki, but I do. And He um, allows you. He allows me that. to call him that. I'll, I'll I'll tie him in. I'll tie him in a knot. He knows that. <laughs> he, he's a funny guy. But you know, um, yeah, those two built a relationship off the court, and and you see it. You see it on the court. The cohesion, the collaboration that those two work with, is just outstanding. And I think you know the Joker now is he's playing at an all time level. I mean, he's you know last year he to me he was the best player in the NBA. But Obviously, I mean, best player in the world. Yeah, he, but he is—he's just so fluid. He's so relaxed. He's so much on that parasympathetic side of the autonomic, which is the calm side. It's amazing to watch him play. And when I work with basketball players, I always ask him, "Where do you play your best basketball?" And ninety-nine point nine percent of the answer is pickup games at the rec center. You know, because there's no perceived pressure. And I said, just like you're perceiving there's no pressure, you can perceive that when the lights are on and the crowd's cheering. You can do that too. We have the ability as a performance psychologist to teach people how to shape their thoughts. Otherwise, their thoughts shape them. And that's what happens to players who suffer from performance anxiety is they're allowing their thoughts to shape them. So he, you know, AG... Part two, the continuing yeah. saga. Yeah. AG is really taking a page. Those two players are very much calm, relaxed, absolutely, just playing out of that absolutely. parasympathetic side. And I think it's it'll it'll help my industry because we have these two role models that are two of the top. One, the best player in the world. Yeah. The second one in the top twenty-five, top thirty-five players in the world that are playing completely yeah. relaxed. I, and I agree. having fun on the court, I, and, and I think. Uh, you know, th- there's no doubt that Aaron Gordon, if he isn't on that level in everyone's estimation, he's in the top 50 yeah. among NBA sure. players. And it isn't because of stats. It's because he's learned to play off Jokic. I think, now everybody talks about Maureen Jokic and they're a great duo, but I think the guy who's learned to play off Jokic is Gordon yeah. more than anybody else. And now Porter watches Gordon yep. and figures, hey, I was always trained growing up. I had to score 20 points a game. Yeah. 
to have an impact on the game. And now Porter functions all over the court and knows that there are any number of ways to contribute and win games that have nothing to do with scoring 20 points every time you take the floor. You can play a better game scoring 15 than you can scoring 20 and sometimes. You know, yeah, you know something that's interesting about what you're describing too, Sandy? The first thing that comes into my mind is reverent leadership. There's five different types of leadership that we, we highlight in corporations. Well, let's talk about those five when yeah. we come back. Okay. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back with more here on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Dr. Rick Perea sitting in for Sean Rotar. This is Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Football Friday, Sandy Clough, Sean Brotar. As we uh, move toward the end of our first hour, Sean is off today and will be returning next Wednesday. In his stead, the good doctor, Dr. Rick Perea, who has been providing uh, his usual valuable brand of insight on many subjects. And before we broke, you were starting to tell us about the five types of leadership. Yeah, there's five that we predominantly use in performance for organizations, which, by the way, people, your local team is an organization at a core level. Denver Nuggets, Colorado Rockies, Avalanche, Broncos, they're all organizations at a key level. So when we talk about performance, we've got to lead these teams through organizational performance protocols. But the the kind of leadership you were describing was what we call reverent leadership. And what rever- the, the really cool thing about reverent leadership is 20 years ago, we didn't even call it reverent leadership. We called it a person that goes to work and does their job the right way every day. And they're a role model. So when other workers see them, we call it the ZPD, the Zone of Proximal Development. When other workers see this person working hard, doing it the right way, it influences them to do it, play hard, and work and do it the right way. And it's reverent leadership. It's not verbal. It's not vocal. It's not visual. Those are the three Vs. It's not those things, but it leads a team by example. And when we learn to value the different styles of leadership, for example, transformational, which is one of the most verbal, vocal, and visual, transformational leadership is usually what CEOs They transform organizations, but we can't forget about that reverent leadership that really is, is very covert, but so effective, Sandy, because when you got people in your organization doing things the right way, working hard, they are a living model every day for all the people in that organization. And you think Jokic epitomizes that? Absolutely. I mean, when, when, after they won the championship last year, and he talked about, you know, being so, like, nonchalant about the parade and he wanted to go home. That was such an eye-opener for so many people because so many people in the United States make championships championships so big. And he made it small. 
he's like, okay, well, we crossed this, you know, check this off the box. I want to go home and race some horses, hang out right. with family. Right. I don't think he thought there would be more than fifteen or 20,000 people at the parade, though. Right. And was legitimately shocked when there were 500,000 people. Right. And so, culturally, he was raised in a different right. cultural practice Absolutely. and norm. Absolutely. And it's very refreshing. To see that here, he was because raised in a war zone. Absolutely, raised. and you know, going back to mm-hmm. our tourist Connor Sovis, who yeah. used to be the assistant GM here at the Nuggets, who brought him in, who recruited him, and drafted him. Um, he is a reverent leader in every way, every shape and form, and so is AG. Say now you got me calling him AG. Um, Aaron Gordon, those guys are living it; they're doing it every day. And that just spreads throughout the organization. And Michael has been educated on this, on these five styles Michael of leadership. Malone. Michael Malone has been educated on these. So he knows how to value it and reward it. So the Nuggets have, from, from an organizational standpoint, they are firing on all cylinders. That's why the W's are coming. And I want to remind everybody, a win is not an outcome. It's a symptom of process. Winning is a symptom of process. It's not an outcome. And that, when you remember that, it teaches you to take care of the outcome. The W's will come. So you talk about reverent. You talk about transformational. Yeah, that's two. That's two. Transactional. Three? Transactional. And that means that's like middle management. They, they make things happen. That, on a football team, that would be your coordinators. Okay, transformational, that would be your head coach, GM, EVP, ownership. Transactional would be your coordinators. Yeah. And then you have charismatic leader. Charismatic. Charismatic leaders are the, 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 the name is self-descriptive, but let me say yeah. this. When you listen to a charismatic leader, they conjure up emotion in you. When you listen to them, you're watching them and you say, they are singing my song. DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware, the night before the Super Bowl. Yeah. The people that are charismatic have power and influence over people. And power and influence are two different things. They can be interdependent, but they're two in, two different things. Um, and then you have autocratic. Yeah. Autocratic leadership is is pretty much my way or the highway. And you might say, well, where do you need autocratic autocratic leadership? Um, Correctional facilities? Military at times? At times, an NFL team needs autocratic leadership. And even a college team. College team? Nick Saban can be an autocratic leader. Let me me tell you something. My sons will testify here. I'm an autocratic leader when I need to be. (laughs) So autocratic leadership is needed at times. And with those big five, did I get five there? Yes. Okay, with those big five, those are the predominant five ones we use in organizational performance. And when I work with an NFL team, an NBA team, or major league baseball team, those are the five that I chronicle with everyone from the top all the way through the players. Because what players make the mistake of doing, Sandy, is they think leaders are verbal, vocal, and visual. They think that's it. But when you teach them, no, you know what? Every player on this team is one of these types of leaders. Right. We're all leaders. And then when they drink that Kool-Aid, oh, my gosh, they're off and running. I want to go back to your experience with the Rockies. And tell me about Carlos Gonzalez and Nolan Arenado, Uh who were both leaders but 
very different kinds of leaders, yes. right? Yes, yes, 100%. Which category did Cargo fit best of those five? Cargo's charismatic. Charismatic. Yeah, charismatic. No, no doubt. There's no, no doubt. doubt. I mean, the, I, the first time we met, we, we made eye contact, and I think he winked at me. <laughs> and then the, the minute we, we had a few minutes alone, he looked at me, he says, he goes, the minute I saw you, he goes, I knew we'd get along. And so we had a great relationship, and we still do. We stay in contact. He lives in Orlando predominantly. Right. Right. But um, very charismatic. He could walk up to any player on the team, and he had a way. He put his arm around him, so that's very haptic. Haptic is the, the study of touch. There's people that just study touch and influence on behavior. So Cargo was very haptic, but he was very charismatic in the way he'd look you in the eye and communicate. Oh, yeah. he, he was very soft. He was very gentle. But then he could add a little bit of vinegar if he needed to. Um, Nolan, on the other hand, was a mixture. He was he had a, he had a fair amount of autocratic in. Him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one I thought of first. <laughs> yeah, he had a fair amount of autocratic in him, but he was transformational too. He was able to transform the Rockies on a certain level of expectations. I can remember him telling players in the clubhouse that certain behavior was not acceptable. Yes. And people listened. Yeah. So he, he was a combination of the two. I personally would have liked for Nolan to be a little bit more charismatic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what led to really the breakup of their relationship with um, with Jeff. Um, Breidich. Breidich, the our GM at the time. Those two kind of butted heads and there was kind of a power struggle. Well, yeah, because they both were autocratic. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it was cool when I showed Jeff these five different styles, and, and Jeff's a, a Harvard alum, so he'll always remind you of that too. <laughs> I was, you know, maybe but, not one of his stronger characters, right? But you know, he thought it was pretty fascinating. He thought, and and he he bought into the idea that all major league managers and general managers should know these leadership styles and know how to use them and deploy them in an organization. And it, and it really baffles me, Sandy, when you find out that head coaches in pro sports who make multi-millions of dollars don't really know the research on leadership, don't really understand the research on communication skills and how it impacts people. But yet in the corporate world, it's so immersed in what we do. It's, you know, it's expected. Yeah. You don't right. want to send the ladder at Google without knowing this information, having MBAs, right. PhDs that are industrial organizational PhDs. But yet in football, we think it's only about football. And that's just not true. There's so much more to the nuances. And go ask Mike Malone if it's just basketball. It's not just basketball. He's learned that. He's learned that. At one that. time he thought it was. He thought it was. He, he has evolved. He has evolved. evolved. And I, I'm 100% proud of him. I'm still waiting for my ring, though. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's in the mail. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk to Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette on a lot of these subjects. The return of Kareem Jackson on Sunday night. Uh, the apparent transformation in Russell Wilson, both from a temperamental and physical point of view. And we'll talk about... If the Broncos can win and they're favored to do so on Sunday night, where does that place them with the news today that the 5-5 five and five Cincinnati Bengals will be playing the rest of the season without quarterback Joe Burrow?
That's all coming next on Mile High Sports.